Well, good morning. So good to be with you guys this morning. For those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Chad Lowe. I'm the interim campus pastor here at Tri Village Church, and I'm so thankful to be with you this morning. What a great testimony. Um, one of the things that a couple weeks ago when I was last preaching, I challenged us as a church, and I, I want to reiterate it in case you weren't here, is that we would be a church throughout this season of transition as we're looking for a new campus pastor, that we would be a church that is committed to prayer, that we would be a church that is committed to going before the Lord in all things. And so I want to reiterate that church. Would you embrace and accept the challenge to be a praying church? We want to be going before the Lord. We want to be praying that he would provide the, the leader that he needs to for this campus. We want to be praying that he would continue to be drawing souls to himself. We want to pray that he would continue to move in and throughout the community and in and through this church. We want to pray that more and more people would love God, grow together, and reach the world. And so would we be a praying church? So as we go, if you are new here, sorry, that was kind of like a tangent, but now we're just going to get into it. But if you are new here, um, I would love to say hi to you. I'd love to greet you. After the service, I'll be standing by the steps and you can shake my hand. I would just love to, to welcome you and thank you for, for being here. We are in the middle of a series called, What Would You Ask Jesus? We're, we're going through the book of John through this four-week series, and we're looking at different encounters that people had with Jesus and different questions that were asked of Jesus and that Jesus asked these people that he encountered. And so as we're going through, we're seeing how God shows that he is the Messiah throughout the book of John through these different encounters he has with people through the book of John. And so we are going to be in John chapter 4 today. If you'd open your Bible, to John chapter 4, and we're going through verses 1 through 26. So it'll be a, a bit of a, a bulk passage today. So John chapter 4, verses 1 through 26. And would you please stand for the reading of God's word? If you're with me, say amen. amen. All right, starting in verse 1, it says this. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back, at one, back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Joseph's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For the Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would give you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here after to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you are now with is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. 
Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when we worship God, when we worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are, they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Let's pray. Lord God, we pray as we read your word, Lord, we want to encounter you. Lord, show us yourself. Show us what you have for us today. Show us what is going to transform our lives, Lord. Let your spirit move in and through us, Lord. Lord, we want more of you. Lord, protect the words of my mouth. Let whatever I say that's from me, let it be forgotten. But Lord, whatever your spirit is moving, whatever I say that is from you, Lord, let it stick with us. Lord, transform us. Soften our hearts. Open our eyes. Lord, let our minds ponder the realities and goodness of your grace. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, my rock and my redeemer. Praise in your name. Amen. You may be seated. So today, as we go through this story of the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, we're really going to be focusing on the topic of shame. What, when sin comes into our lives and, and brings in shame, whether it's sin that we have done, sin that's been done to us, we all in some way, shape, or form bear shame. We all have regrets. We all have things that we wish other people wouldn't know about. We all have things that we wish wouldn't get broadcasted or blasted um, to the world. We all have shame. And this woman, this woman at the well, is bearing shame. But when she encounters Jesus, she also encounters her shame head on. And so we're going to be looking at how this, this looks throughout this encounter with Jesus. And actually, for the context of this, and I brought this up a couple weeks ago, that John, the, the person who wrote this book, the, the disciple of Jesus, John, actually his thesis, his, his big picture for, for the entire book is that he wants to, us to know, and it actually comes from John 20, verse 31, if you'd put it on the screen. He wants us to know that he is the Messiah and that he is the answer to our sin. He is the answer to our shame. And, it said, and John writes this, But these are written to you that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And that, that's really what we see happen here with this Samaritan woman, is that she would believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that she would have life in his name. And the same thing is true for us, that we would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that we'd have life in his name, and that we would combat, that he would combat our shame. And so we're going to look at this topic of shame, we're going to look at this life from the Messiah through these three points. We're going to look how Jesus enters into this woman's shame, how Jesus confronts her shame, and then finally how Jesus takes on her shame. So let's start by looking how Jesus enters into her shame. Well, first, let's look at what the shame was of this woman. This woman is an outcast. First and foremost, she's a Samaritan. Now, Jews and Samaritans did not get along. In fact, they hated each other. And we're going to elaborate this on, on this a little bit more, but um, to put it simply, uh, Samaritans were, were Jews that intermarried with Gentiles. And so for that, the, the Jews considered the Samaritans unclean. They, they hated each other. There was a rift between each other. 
And so Jews and Samaritans would not associate with each other. And not only were the Samaritans rejected by Jews, but they were also rejects of Rome as well. No one really cared about the Samaritans. And so the Samaritans are the rejects of the rejects. And this woman is the reject of the reject of the rejects. But not only is she a Samaritan, we see from this, from this moment that John is pointing out that she goes to draw water from a well and it was about noon. Which is interesting. Who, who really cares if it's noon? Like, what's the big deal about that? Well, what we know is that this is a desert climate. If you are going to go and draw water, you would go at a cooler part of the day, either in the earlier morning or later in the evening. Not at the hottest point in the entire day. So she has to lug this big jar to fill with water. The well is about three-fourths of a mile out of town. She has to go through this, this hot climate and to get this, this jug to fill with water. Then she has to draw the water from the well, fill the jug, take it all the way back to her home, and then have water for the day. It's an exhausting, tiring process just to have water. Why would she do this in the middle of the day? Because she doesn't want to be around anybody. She doesn't want to interact with people. She doesn't want to have the, the waterside, literal waterside talk. She doesn't want to see the people of the town. She doesn't want to interact with the women of the town. She doesn't want to be seen by anybody. She just wants to be secluded. She wants to be alone. And the reason she wants to be alone is because she bears great shame. Now, you have to remember, this is a shame and honor culture. So, if you have honor, then man, you are good. But if you have shame, it is completely damaging, crushing to you, who you are. It's crushing to your identity. And this woman had great shame. And so the shame we actually see from later on as she interacts with Jesus, that the shame of this woman, the reason that she is an outcast among her own people, is because she is immoral. We see that this woman has had five husbands and the man that she's living with now isn't her husband. And in this shame and honor culture, in this society, the Samaritans actually upheld the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. They, they, held, they upheld the law just like the Jews. And so the fact that this woman had intermarried five different times, that the man that she was married to now wasn't her husband, was a very, very big deal in this culture. So she has been completely outcast. She's been completely abandoned. She's been completely said that you are not good enough for us. And can you imagine every day as she goes to the well, she's reminded that she doesn't measure up. Every day that she goes to draw water from this well, she's reminded that she is alone. Every day she goes to draw water, she's reminded of her shame. She's reminded over and over again that she is full of shame. And so when she gets to the well, she runs into probably the last human being she would have ever wanted to run into. A Jewish man who's a rabbi. Not the person you want to run into when you're trying to be all alone. She, not, not the person that you'd want to see. I mean, it'd be one thing to see someone from the town and be like, oh great, Deborah's here. Fantastic. But then she walks in and she sees that, great, a man's here. Oh, and I can see he's a Jewish man. He already thinks he's better than me. Oh, he's a rabbi. Dang it. So she gets, to this, she gets to this well and she runs into this Jewish male who's a rabbi. And what Jesus does is astounding. 
What Jesus does is remarkable. What Jesus does is completely shattering every cultural barrier there is. When Jesus comes in, he shatters the cultural barriers of this day because he engages with racial tension. By coming as a Jew to talk to a Samaritan, even that's what this Samaritan woman is talking about. She says, why are you talking to me? Jews don't associate with Samaritans. And so he, he dives into this racial tension that's happening. In fact, where Samaria was, if people were going from Judea to Galilee, some Jews hated Samaritans so much that the direct path was to go straight, as Jesus and his disciples did, straight through Samaria, straight through this town. Some Jews would actually take the longer path so they wouldn't even have to go through Samaria. They would elongate their journey by, by a day or two just to avoid this place. And so what, what Jesus says, he enters in, he enters into this, and he enters into the, the, the racial tension here as a Jew communicating with a Samaritan. Now, to make it even more deep, what he asks this woman, would you give me a drink, is completely earth-shattering. Because what happens is, is the Jews believed not only that the Samaritans were unclean, but to, to consume something, whether it be food or drink, that was a Samaritan's, made you unclean. So if you were to receive a cup of water from a Samaritan, you would have to go and purify yourself. So for him to do this, he is, he is culturally embracing her uncleanliness. He is asking her, can I have a drink? And she's like, what are you doing? Nobody does that. Why are you talking to me? No one, one, no one would talk to me. And two, a Jew wouldn't ever ask me for a drink. He breaks this racial barrier. But then he goes even more than that. He breaks a gender barrier as well. In this culture, men and women had very different roles and values. And it was not normal for a man to be conversing with a woman, much less a Samaritan woman. So the, for the fact that he comes and he engages, he initiates this conversation with this woman is staggering. We actually see this, uh, the verse after what we just read, his disciples come back and they're like, why is he talking to this woman? They, they didn't say it, but they were all thinking it. They're like, why is he doing this? This is, this is so abnormal. And so Jesus breaks through this gender barrier. So he not only sees her as equal in race, he sees her as equal in gender. And then lastly, he breaks the religious barrier. As this rabbi, he comes in and he enters into her shame by being this rabbi. So if, just imagine if this woman was a Jew, and, and so Jesus was talking Jew to Jew here, and even still, because of her reputation, the fact that she is at this well at noon, the fact that she's there by herself, you can get a pretty good picture that the reason she's there is because she has shame. She's done something wrong. And so even, let's just take the, the fact that it's Jesus' side. Let's just say it was a, a Pharisee, a different rabbi. If he was there, he'd be able to, to assume, he'd be able to guess that this woman was immoral. But he still initiates, he still engages. Even though other rabbis, other Pharisees wouldn't have done that. He still enters in and he, he knows exactly what's happened. He knows exactly her shame, but he enters in. He enters into her shame. So the person that she wanted least to me ended up being the greatest person she could have ever encountered. The person who she wanted and would have avoided is the very person who can change her life. And now you might, you might see, hear this and go, wow, Jesus is pretty cool. Like, he's a social activist. Like, he's breaking down the racial barriers, the gender barriers, the moral barriers. This is awesome. 
He's like, he's so hipster. He, he was an activist before he was even cool. But, but I want you to know that, that yes, reform is good. And I'm not saying that, that, we, that you shouldn't be, be an activist. I'm not saying that, that what he's doing isn't good. But Jesus didn't come to bring reform. He came to bring redemption. Jesus didn't come to change the status. He came to transform hearts. It's out of this redemption that reform is possible. But reform does not lead to our redemption. So yes, Jesus does show love to different, different races. Yes, he shows love to different genders. Yes, he shows love to the broken and downcast, but he does it to bring redemption. It is out of understanding how God sees his people. It's out of understanding how God sees us that we can be ambassadors of justice. So don't take this passage as, wow, guys, I'm going to look at, look at activist Jesus. Look at this social activist. Look at, look at this hipster Jesus. No, look at this man who enters in to redeem broken people just like us. And so just like us, we too have shame. We too are, are looking for satisfaction and fulfillment. And so the question that is really being asked here, the question is this encounter with Jesus, the question that the Samaritan wants, this, this Samaritan woman wants answered is, are you going to satisfy me? Can you fulfill me? I have shame. I have a real problem here. And we have the same thing. But for some of us, we, we've embraced our shame. And what I mean, it doesn't mean that you've just said it's okay, that you're like, ah, it's no big deal. It just means that you've learned to bear the weight of it. Maybe you're sitting here and, and the moment I talk about shame, you're like, yeah, that's me. Maybe it's a regret of something that you've done in your life or some things that you've done. Maybe it's a continual habit of sin in your life that you just can't break free from. Maybe it's stuff that you've done in the past, people that you've hurt, relationships you've broken, Ways that you've marginalized people. You've embraced it, not in the sense that you've declared it okay, but you've just learned to bear the weight. You've accepted that this is how I'm going to be. This is my life. And so you come here and you're going, and you, you, you just don't really believe that God could forgive you. Frankly, you don't even forgive yourself. And so you're sitting here like this Samaritan woman with great shame, looking for relief. And then there's other of you here who are going, well, I, I don't really have that. I don't really think that there's this huge, like, weighty cloud of shame over me. I'm not walking in with, with this shame shadow. But you do have shame. And for this is what I call masked shame. This masked shame, actually what we see in the chapter before is Jesus talks to this, this Pharisee named Nicodemus. And he's going through the same thing. It's, it's the same concept of, of how do I have full satisfaction? How do I have fulfillment? And he says that you have to be born again. And this religious leader has to understand that he is a sinner. And that's the same thing that you and I need to understand. We are sinful. And so though our shame might not be a, a habitual, re, re, repetitive sin, it might not be this one ginormous decision that we've made in our lives, it might not be this, this huge cloud of shame, but Man, we try really hard to be successful because failure is embarrassing for us. We try really hard to be right and, and let, our, let our legalism combat our shame. We hide behind our shame with our own self-righteousness. 
I am ashamed of how I look, and so I have to be fit. I'm ashamed with how people see me, so I have to be likable. I'm ashamed with, with how I, I, I fit into the society, so I need to be successful. And so you mask your shame with your own self-righteousness. So maybe you haven't embraced it, maybe you haven't identified it, but you're hiding it. We all come with shame. But do we know, do you know, that Jesus has entered into your shame? He's entered into my shame? That Jesus, God himself, became man. In a few months, we get to celebrate Christmas, that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. We, we know in Philippians 2 that, that Jesus emptied himself. He became the form of man, left the glories of heaven to enter into our brokenness so that we could receive his grace. Do you know that Jesus entered into your shame? So now that we've seen how Jesus has entered into the Samaritan woman's shame and similarly how he's entered into our shame, we're going to look at how Jesus confronts her shame. So before we actually look at how he confronts her shame, we're going to look at how she confronts Jesus. So in verse 10, when Jesus says that if you knew who, the, who was giving you this gift, you would ask him for the drink of water. And she says, who do you think you are? Are you greater than Jacob who made this well? Like, are you greater than our forefathers? Where are you going to get this water from? I don't see you having a bucket. She's cynical. She's, are you capable of doing what you just told me you're going to do? You want me to ask you for a cup of water? You don't have a bucket. You don't have rope. It's like 100 feet deep. How are you going to get me some water, Jesus? So you can see the cynicism. You can see the negativity. Are you greater than our father, Jacob? The answer is yes. She has no idea. But she, she's asking this. Are you actually capable to do what it is that you've promised? Are you actually capable of satisfying me? Are you actually capable of fulfilling me? And then Jesus replies back, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I will give will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And at this point, she's interested. She's like, I want that water. I, I want that water badly. But do you see what's happening here? Do you see why she wants that water? If she has the water that satisfies, she doesn't have to come to the well anymore. She doesn't have to walk into her shame every day. She doesn't have to engage with the people around her. What she wants is the blessing of God so that she can avoid her problem. She wants God to take care of it, but Jesus isn't a genie in a bottle. He hasn't come to just grant three wishes and be like, okay, now have a happy life uh, absent of me and absent of, of your problems. But he's looking to, she, now she sees that Jesus, if you have this living water, give it to me. That way I don't have to walk day after day into shame. I can go start a new life. I can start fresh. I could get away from here. I could have water and I could have my physical needs met. But then Jesus confronts her shame. He goes right in. He doesn't go, okay, yeah, I guess you really want this. Cool, here you go. Here's my water. He doesn't come to supply her physical needs. He comes to meet her spiritual needs. And so he asks her a question. Go, call your husband and come back. And watch this dance. I, I don't have a husband. Like, you see what shame does? Shame lets you dance around the issue. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step aside from here. Like, Jesus, I, I, I didn't do that. I don't have a husband, so I, no guy's going to come here. She still sidesteps her shame. Shame is self-protecting. 
But then Jesus says, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five. And the man that you're living with now isn't your husband. Jesus breaks right through and confronts her shame. He breaks right through and confronts the biggest thing that is in her life. And he's doing the same thing for us. It is only through confronting our sin that we can experience the freedom of grace. You see, we have to both repent and believe, not just believe. Believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and repent of your sins. Repent and believe. And so Jesus is bringing her to a place of repentance. But like her, we sometimes want the gift and not the giver of the gift. We want our problems to go away. I don't want to live in shame anymore. I want to be free. I want to have a good, happy, comfortable life. I just, I'm not asking for like a million dollars. I just, I just want things to be simple and easy. Is that bad? I just want to be able to go to the well in peace. Is that, is that a big deal? Well, we want the gift, but not the giver. We want the presence, the gift of God, without the presence, the, the actual relationship with God. I'm going to say that again. We want the presence of God, but not the presence of God of God. And so like this woman, we want what God can give us, but we don't want him himself. And so watch how this woman deflects here. She's called out in her sin. She's called out in her confrontation. And she goes, sir, I can see that you are a prophet. And then she asks this theological question. Our ancestors worship here, but your ancestors worship there. Where, where should we go and worship? And have you guys ever done that when you're confronted with your sin? It's like your wife brings up something to you and it's like, yeah, but did you take out the trash? Like, points out this glaring character flaw. You're so right. Have you paid the bills? Maybe you're at work and your boss confronts you on something and you're like, oh, that's great. But did you see the game last night? It's so easy to deflect, to sidestep. It's like, oh man, he found out. I can see that you're a prophet. You know what? Let me ask you a really big, important question. Maybe you're sitting here and you've been doubting Jesus. You, you don't have a relationship with God. You, you, you've been going, I have a lot of questions. And instead of letting Jesus enter in and expose the, the actual deep, deep, deep problem in your heart, you sidestep and go, but is the Bible reliable? Is Jesus really God? What about all those hypocritical Christians? What about all these other problems? What about, if this is true, then what about suffering and pain in the world? And so we sidestep and deflect. Wow, I can see. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I have problems. But, but what about, and you point to anything else? Maybe Jesus is coming to expose the sin in your heart first. He's entered in to expose and confront the sin in your heart and my heart. For those of you who are believers, maybe this has kept you from getting connected into community, from actually being the church. And so you come in, you come into different churches. I'm, I'm just trying to figure out where I'm supposed to be. I just want to make sure this is the right fit, you know? I want to make sure that these believers are better than those believers. I, I, I haven't gotten connected to community because I, I just, I don't know, they, they're kind of weird, you know, and I, I can't be vulnerable with weird people. I haven't gotten connected to any community because, well, I just, it's just too far away. It's not, it's not, it's just, you know, I'd rather go 15 minutes than 20 minutes away from my house, and that's just too far. I can't connect, get connected. Yeah, yeah, I see I have issues in my life, but, but I'm not going to bring them up to you. I mean, we just met. And so we put up all of these barriers, we deflect, and so instead of going to the very place, the church, the place that Jesus has set up to be the ministry of his mission, we don't even come and we, we, we just sidestep all of our issues. 
We come in, we sing songs of praise, but we have a deep, deep sin issue in our heart. And Jesus is coming to expose it and to bring freedom. So what shame are you sidestepping today? What shame are you deflecting from? Ah, pastor, I see that. I'm going to deal with that later because the bears play at noon. Come up with all these different issues. So we see that Jesus didn't just come to enter in. He came to confront both her shame and ours. But not only did he come to confront, that's the bad news. He came in to take on her shame. He came to take her shame. And we see this in, her, in his response. When, when she deflects, when she says, okay, I have this theological question, he doesn't disengage and go, I see what you're doing here. Instead, he actually answers. He engages with her question and he points to his father. So he takes her question and he says, there is a day that is coming, a time is coming when you will worship neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem. Now, whenever John, and Pastor Hannibal brought this up last week, whenever in John you see it saying the hour has come or the time is coming, it is pointing to Jesus' crucifixion. He is saying there is a time coming and it has now come where I am going to die for you. I have just exposed the shame in your life and I'm going to take it on myself. I have just exposed the shame in your life and I'm going to pay the consequences of this shame at the cross. The time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Now it says in spirit and in truth because in spirit we get living water. When we accept this living water offered from Jesus throughout scripture, we see that water is is a reference to the Holy Spirit. That we get to worship because we have the presence of the Spirit of God with us. We are no longer um, condemned. We, We stand redeemed. But we also get to worship in truth because Jesus is the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the word become flesh. And so the true worshipers worship in both spirit and truth because of the sacrifice of the Son of God. He's saying a time is coming is now here. I see your shame. I've entered into your shame. I've confronted your shame. And I will take your shame. I will pay the price for your shame. And you will go free. See, throughout this, Jesus is actually, John is actually setting up throughout this entire chapter, pointing out how Jesus is greater than all of the inhibitions, all of the the barriers that she was setting up before him. She asks, are you greater than Jacob? Jesus is the greater Jacob. Out of Jacob came the nation of Israel, but out of Jesus comes the children of God. And we know in Galatians that there's no other man nor woman, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, but all are one in Christ Jesus. He is the greater well. From him comes living water. And that water is overflowing and it springs up in his people a well of eternal life. Jesus is the greater prophet. He doesn't just proclaim the coming kingdom. He brings the coming kingdom. He is the Messiah. I, the one speaking to you, am he. And when she says, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming, he's going to teach us all of these things. He didn't just come to teach, he came to transform. And he transforms her. And we see this transformation take place actually in the very next verses when the disciples return. It says, just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman, as we mentioned earlier. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? 
Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Do you see what happened here? She came to the water looking for her physical need to be met. And then when she got to the well, her spiritual need was met. And she left her jar. She ran back to the town. She had tasted the living water and was satisfied. She wanted to avoid her problems, but instead, because she had experienced freedom from shame, she went back to the people who cast her out. She went back to the very people who rejected her and said, I have found the Messiah. I have gone back to the very people who have been my abusers and I'm giving them grace. When you drink from the living water, it transforms you. When you drink from the living water, your shame is no more. You are free. Jesus has paid it for you. It enables you to go back to the people who have wronged you, to go back to the people you have wronged and experience grace. This woman drinks from the living water, leaves her jar, and goes to the town. And then we see what happens from this. Later on in verse 39, it says, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two more days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And this is the key. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Church, have you tasted from the living water? Have you been transformed by the redeeming grace of the King of kings and Lord of lords? Do you know that your shame is no more because he has taken it on himself? Do you know that your sin is no more because he has taken it on himself? And yes, you will continue to fail him. We know that in Romans 5 it says that while we were still sinning, while we were yet sinning, Christ died for us. There isn't a moment in your life when he's going to say, wow, I didn't know you were going to do that. No, he's paid it all. Past present, future, in your life. Do you know that you can come to this well and find living water? And that when you experience the transformational grace of Jesus Christ, you go and tell. You go and tell. I, I think of when Jesus healed the blind man and when he was interrogated by the Pharisees, he's like, and they were asking him all these questions about Jesus. And he said, I, hey, hey, I don't know. All I know is that I was blind and now I see. Do you see do you see, Jesus, that he is the king of your life and Lord of your heart? And he has come to bring freedom from your shame. To the extent that you understand the depravity of your sin, to that same extent you will seek out the blessings of his grace. To the extent that you embrace and confront your own shame, to that same extent you will see a need for a savior. Church, Jesus has tainted it on himself. And we are free. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for your redeeming grace. Lord, we thank you that you became flesh, Lord, to dwell among us and to redeem us, Lord. That you didn't just come to bring social reformation. You came to bring total spiritual transformation. Lord, that we get to come before you as sinners in need of grace. That we stand condemned 
But Lord, you give us grace upon grace because you paid the penalty of our sin at the cross. Lord, let us live lives that go boldly out to proclaim this transformation. Let us live lives that boldly go and explain the truths of your gospel. Lord, you are good and you are wonderful. And we have seen the Messiah. Pray this in your name. Amen.